What good came out of 2020? The idea that we bonded over so quickly and like how that turned into a podcast was that I was like, you don't know what we're doing. You know, like the, the government's not doing enough, so we're going to have to do stuff. Therefore, we need to make a, a spreadsheet of everything that we can do for the, the climate. And then because everyone's got different, you know, capacities and abilities and different kinds of like amounts of time and money, we need to have everything in a column, right? So like, you know how long things take and you know how much they might cost you. And then you can kind of want, try to quantify the impact individually, but quantify the impact in terms of like when you get to a certain tipping point and then look at those things and be like, oh, strategically, what should individuals be doing? Because we're all just kind of like panicking. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network by and for Australia's climate community. I'm Mark Spencer, publisher of Climactic, and a huge fan of the show I'm proud to be bringing you today. For a long time, I've been waiting for the art form of podcasting, the way it can tell intimate stories, it can move the heart as well as the head, for that to be applied to the topic of the climate. Facts, figures, and fear, we've all heard that before. At least I know all of you listening have. But what about a podcast that motivates you to take climate action, and that shows you how? In Heaps Better, we ask our mates at Greenpeace, what are the best things that people like us can do in the face of the climate crisis? We started doing those things, and you can do those things too. Subscribe, because saving the planet is Heaps Better together. That's what Heaps Better is here for, and why I was so thrilled to hear it was being made. You may have already heard the trailer for the show before, right here on Climactic where we shared it, and may have already heard all four of the episodes. But today, you're going to get to hear episode one of this miniseries, as well as an interview with the creators, Jess and Ash. Because we're not just bringing you a full episode of Heaps Better, but we're launching the newest show on the Climactic Network. Climate Australia is a live-streaming interview series from Lee Constable. If you were recently a kid, or you have one, you may already know Lee, from the Channel 10 science show, Scope. Or maybe you've read her book, How to Save the Whole Stinkin' Planet. Or know her science and street art collaboration, CoLab, which creates some of the most innovative public science comms events in Australia. Lee's bringing her Climate Australia interviews to a podcast of her very own, and we're thrilled to have her on Climactic. You'll love her chat with Heaps Better creators Jess and Ash, and find a link in the show notes to even more of her episodes. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to have on the Climactic feed the excellent Heaps Better, and stick around after for an interview with the creators. Have you ever listened to a podcast or watched a documentary about what's happening to our climate and thought, wow, this is huge? So what do I do? But then they don't even tell you and they just roll the credits and then you shrug and go to bed and can't sleep. This is not that kind of podcast. This is about doing stuff that will get you out of anxiety and into action because it's pretty hard to do anything productive when you're cowering in the fetal position, which is where we were at the start of 2020. 
I just go from being so charged up and wanting to take action and then like the whole country's on fire so everything I do seems pointless and futile and then I fall into despair and I... Oh, it's just completely overwhelming and there's so much to do. I just want to make the future beautiful should, but... Should we quit driving? Go vegan? Do the power saving light bulb <laughs> so, thing? I mean like obviously I should stop flying. Can I follow so, PowerPoint? Use a key card. charities but Which one? don't use paper. Don't even use toilet no, paper. Too late just anyway. like breathe less. Like... Does it even make a difference The anyway? sixth mass extinction. Mass extinction. So just for a moment, let's put all of that advice to one side and just take a breath. That's, I'm, I'm seeing a great breath being taken there. That's a great, great deep breath. Oh, so glad you're here, David Ritter, CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific. I was about to lose hope. Above all, hope is having a plan of what to do. And, you know, we've got a plan of what to do. We've got a plan. We've got a plan. We've got a plan. We've got a plan. Got a plan. Uh, David? Where'd, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Come back. D- David? Oh, I need a plan. I really hope he comes back. Hello, fellow human. I'm Ash. And I'm Jess. And we're two mates on a mission to do something about this climate crisis. We've all got a lot of questions. Yeah, climate change keeps me awake at night. <laughs> like I have a keep cup. And I try to recycle. Well, I do recycle. But where does that go anyway, you know? Tried to watch the recent David Attenborough documentary on Netflix and I couldn't, I couldn't finish watching it. The biggest question I have is whether or not it's ethical to have children at this point in time. I often find it far too overwhelming to even think about. In this podcast, we want to figure out the best things that we can do to make the world heaps better. Then do them together because we're heaps better together. And to help us out, we're tapping into the brilliant minds of our planet-saving friends at Greenpeace Australia Pacific. Before we blindly rush into saving the planet, let's consider the amazing legacy of sustainability and caring for country of our first people. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands where we make this podcast. In my part of Sydney, I pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And for me, it's the Narragoo people, the traditional custodians of the New South Wales Snowy Mountains. We extend our respects to any First Nations people listening. We live among the oldest continuing culture in the world. We have a lot to learn. We also want to acknowledge the grief and despair that climate change brings, and generally the year of 2020. I mean, it started with bushfires and we whizzed on into COVID and that's kind of how we started doing this podcast, like every other man and his dog. Yeah, Ash and I got together right at the start of 2020 and made a pinky promise to help each other stay sane, figure out what we could do that would actually make a difference and do things that make you feel good, like you are right now, Ash. Oh, you mean with like my, uh, what, what you call my, my finger harp. <laughs> I mean, what what do you, you play a finger, wait, okay, so why, what else do you play a harp with? Do you, like a toe harp? <laughs> so anyway, whatever you do for a bit of self-care. But also we hear action is the antidote to despair. But we're not activists. We're not scientists. We're not battery engineers. We're just normal old people. Yeah. So where do we start? I mean, who should we listen to about climate change? Um, I've got this h- hilarious sort of 
mattress pillow set up around me at the moment because <laughs> there are like 70k winds howling outside. <laughs> which, oh, wonderful. Which is kind of perfect for speaking to an extreme weather expert, but yeah. not so not so great for a podcast recording. <laughs> Ash. I found us a climate scientist. Show me, show me her research papers. Is she really real? Yes. They're called things like embracing the complexity of extreme weather events when quantifying their likelihood of recurrence in a warming world. Okay, so this is the kind of person we should be listening to. Mm-hmm. Who are you and what do you do? Okay, yep. So who am I today? <laughs> who am I right now? <laughs> a couple of hours ago I was a mother, but now I can be a scientist. Um, so my name's Sarah Perkins Kirkpatrick. I research extreme weather events, but I mainly focus on heat waves. I hope this isn't too much of a personal question and feel free not to answer it if it is, but has becoming a mother changed how you go about your job or how you feel about the job that you're doing? I was a climate scientist before I had a family. But when I was pregnant with my first daughter, she it was a pretty bad summer at the time and I remember sitting in a conference and having a health expert talk about the health impacts of heat waves in 35 years' time, so basically when my daughter is my age. And here I am thinking, this poor child, she's not done anything and she's going to bear the brunt of this. This is completely unfair. Um, and it put, put me in a bit of a dark space for a while. I was thinking, you know, why am I doing this? I've wanted to be a parent for so long, yet... I'm bringing this child into a world that she, you know, it's shit basically and she's not contributed to it. It's completely unfair. But I then had a colleague tell me that that child might be the one that can make a significant difference in reducing your emissions or keeping our emissions or whatever the, the world might look like when she's my age. And that was a bit of a wake-up call. I thought, well, yeah, that, yeah that, that is a good point. We can't necessarily think always about how bad it's going to be. Imagine explaining climate change to your child as a climate scientist. Yeah. Well, I asked her to tell me how it all works. Real simple. Naturally, we have a certain amount of what we call greenhouse gases. They're just certain gases in the atmosphere, of which carbon dioxide is one. There's also a number of others. And what they do in really simplistic terms is create kind of like a blanket in the lower 10 kilometres of the atmosphere. So they trap in a bit of heat into that part of the atmosphere. It's kind of like when you put a blanket on at night. Oh, a blanket. I feel a bedtime story coming on. Ash, is now the time. I can't help it, Jess. The metaphor, it calls to me. Once upon a time, there was a little planet called Earth. Earth was just the perfect distance from the sun for life to flourish. Not too close to get toasted, not too far to get freezing, but just right. And space around it was a little cold. Luckily, Earth had a little blanket around it to keep it warm. But seriously, like, we're in what scientists call the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. And it also helps that we have this nice tilt and reliable seasons and a certain amount of warmth from those gases in the atmosphere. So everything has been just right and stable for thousands and thousands of years. It's like a nice little baby bear porridge for life to flourish in. But then the Industrial Revolution happened and we started burning fossil fuels for energy. What we're doing with um, our way of life is increasing the thickness of that blanket. We're putting more carbon dioxide and other gases, but mainly carbon dioxide at the moment, into the, into the atmosphere. And how long have we been aware of these, of the man-made reasons um, <laughs> <laughs> for this blanket getting... Hundreds of years. It's, this, has been, this has been proven in labs in the 1850s. The, actually, the first person to discover this was Eunice Foote. 
Um, so a woman, yeah. and she basically demonstrated that certain gases have heat-trapping properties. And our way of life changed so much. <laughs> Things are no longer just right. But Ash, there is a plan. Thanks to 6,000 scientists who brought this terrible tale to all the world leaders in Paris and said, alrighty, we need to keep the world under 1.5 degrees of warming in this century. And 195 countries, Australia included, all made this epic pinky promise to say, all right, we're in it together, we're going to keep things from going wrong. Okay, cool, love it. Pinky promise though, I mean... Not, um, not exactly binding. Exactly. And I don't know if you can break a country's finger. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Anyway, the Paris Agreement is all online. You can read the whole thing. Just Google it. The global goals set up by this Paris pinky promise are halve our global emissions in the next 10 years, no more emissions in 30 years' time. So if you've heard the 10 years to fix the planet thing, that's where it comes from. This this is also probably the wrong question. <laughs> How long have we got? Oof. I struggle with this question. So there's been a push in recent times about the critical decade. This has come from a number of sources, both Australian and international, that we need to act now. That's important to get that message across that the time is now. However, I also think there's a little bit too much emphasis placed on that because it basically it can incite a bit of fear in some people that, well, you know, well, crap, if I don't act now, we're done. Like we're just basically all going to die. What's the point? You know, it, it, it can it can induce some sort of anxiety, I guess. So even if for some reason we can't reduce our emissions as much as possible right now, even doing that in 10 or 20 years' time will have an impact down the line. Okay, so it's not like 10 years till the apocalypse but we've got to do everything in our power to quit fossil fuels within the next 10 years or I guess everyone can just gang up on us and break our metaphorical pinkies. We need to stop burning fossil fuels, but it's hard to achieve that if there aren't incentives, you know, from governments or, you know, other organisations. And that's, I think, where the most frustrating part is. Like, you know, people in, in positions of power have, you know, moral responsibility and, you know, they're also able to make huge changes that help everyone but that just doesn't seem to be happening as nearly as much as it should. Are you angry? Yeah. I hope you are frigging angry. <laughs> Jess, are you, what are you I'm doing? doing? I'm doing retro aerobics, like Jane, Jane Fonda style aerobics. Are you wearing a leotard? <laughs> yes. it's like, this is one of my favorite things to do. Ash, it's like my it's my toe heart. It helps me feel really good. It's good for my body. It makes me laugh the whole time. But I'm actually like in all seriousness, I'm doing it while I'm watching Jane Fonda's Fire Drill Fridays. Have you heard about this? I'm going to share like my Jane, screen. Jane Fonda, the aerobics. Jane Fonda in her 80s is a climate hero. Hold on, I'm going to share my screen and show you this Fire Drill Fridays. This is a collective crisis that requires collective action we hold the power to change so every friday in january jane fonda led these epic climate demonstrations on the street of washington she teamed up with greenpeace and had this huge turnout and then since the pandemic she's been doing it virtually and it must be a just transition that leaves no workers behind amazing i love that okay so is this making you feel better or yes but I still feel really frustrated I feel like we've got this perfect roadmap but it doesn't really seem like 
we're following it. I don't know. How do you feel? Uh, look, I'm <laughs> I'm actually feeling a little bit embarrassed and like on behalf of my country just because I Googled um, whether or not we were on track to meet the Paris climate target and then I hovered over Australia in this digital map and it said in like capital letters, insufficient. Okay, I think we should channel Jane Fonda. What, and like put out like aerobics VCRs? <laughs> no, get some help from Greenpeace. Wait, we'll just knock on Greenpeace's door and be like, uh, hey, guys. How do I save the planet? Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. I'm Jess. Hi. I'm Ash. Well, we did. And not only did they answer the door, but the CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific invited us around to his home for a cup of tea. To make our home some at your of, table. Some sort of hippie herbal. Or... Oh, hippie herbal. Great. Oh, um, good well, oh, my dad is David Ritter. Um, he's the CEO of Greenpeace Australia and Pacific. And while David was making us a cup of what he calls hippie herbal, we tested out our COVID safe podcast set up with his kids and asked them how they'd save the planet while he was brewing the tea. Like sneaking into parliament and dressing up as all of the politicians. <laughs> and then, then I'd say that um, we're going to stop using fossil fuels and get and gather all of the money that we got from burning it and just put that into like solar panels and electric cars and yeah just trying to get rid of greenhouse gases yeah you got my vote for sure we're not a party yet <laughs> yeah no because you're in year two <laughs> so yeah we're having a laugh and feeling inspired by the future generations and then we're like, hey, um, we need to get back to our counselling session with David here because the anxiety and overwhelm is definitely still there. This was a whole bunch of these reasons why Ash and I got together were, were ways that we could be like, okay, well, how do we keep each other trucking but be actually doing productive things at the same time? Particularly when, you know, we were shut inside from smoke and then we were shut inside from COVID yeah. and the whole idea that we were just miles from each other all grieving was, I mean, that was just the the predominant feeling of of those months, I just felt so charged up to do something, but so far from being able to do anything. I mean, <laughs> can I just ask, like, maybe the question that I wanted to ask back then, which is, is all hope lost? No, no, all hope isn't lost, but there's also no reason not to grieve. But we can, we need to to balance grief and belief simultaneously. And, um, I mean, I don't like talking about wars because Greenpeace, you know, it doesn't sort of fit that much. But my, my mum and dad were Second World War generation kids. My father escaped on one of the children's trains um, out of Czechoslovakia. He was 14 years old. Virtually all of his family were murdered. Um, he met my mother in England. They both survived the, the bombings. And they've, they've both passed now. But um, one of the things that my mother always talked about was you lost friends, you knew weren't coming back, you lost family, you lost places that were destroyed. But there was a an abiding iron determination that there was something through it on the other side. Now, I've... I've been part of this Australian community that's we've seen the reef bleach, we're seeing what's happening to the mangroves, the kelp forests in the south, the Murray-Darling, 35 million hectares of our country burnt over spring and summer. This is, this is a blitz of the natural world that we are seeing. But we also know the very best science tells us 
that we can also come out through the other side of this with something that is as beautiful as anything in the cosmos. And one of the things the scientists cannot measure is the speed of politics, and politics can change very, very fast. I'm old enough to remember when the Cold War seemed like it was a permanent condition. I'm old enough to remember when apartheid seemed like it was a thing that was going to be there forever. And these things have been swept away to the dustbin of history. And so the fossil fuel order shall also pass. Climate change is not a binary. The world is inherently unpredictable. History is non-linear. And above all, hope is having a plan of what to do. And, you know, we've got a plan of what to do. We've got a plan. Okay, so let's just set the scene here. We're both being really COVID safe at the other end of this table, separated by our, like, DIY sneeze guard frame window things. But I was patting his dog a lot, so maybe not that COVID safe. And also feeding them all the treats. And the wind's howling outside. We've got our cup of tea. We are getting into it. We went from zero to 100 real quick. It's such a Goliath of a problem. You know, how do you come up with a strategy for how how you're going to attack it as an organisation? Well, strategy is a way of making sense of complex problems. So the greatest threat right now is the climate emergency. The number one driver of the climate emergency is the use of fossil fuels, coal, oil and gas. Within Australia, we know that uh, Australia is the third largest uh, exporter of emissions. We know that... Um, Uh, Australia is the largest exporter of coal and the most important thing for us to do is to kick coal uh, as fast as we possibly can and then gas is really coming up on us now as well. Australia is the coal capital of the world. Sometimes we get the impression that little old Australia can't have much of an impact on the global scene. We do. We are punching way above our weight in emissions. And if we look at our emissions per capita or per person, ours is three times higher than the global average. The next step is to say, well, how do you make the interventions? And we know there are interventions that we can make about speeding up the retirement of Australia's 22 coal-burning power stations. There are interventions that can be made around no new coal or gas mining. As as Australians, does that mean that our strategy should also be to sort of you know, bring an end to coal and to speed along renewables? Absolutely. Bang on. That should be the strategy of every Australian who really wants to get in and use their power to the maximum impact. So we need to retire coal-burning power stations, no new gas or coal mining. I mean, that's big. How How do people like us do this? What is the realistic thing that Jess and I can do? How can people like us who, I mean, we're not professional activists at all, what should we be dedicating our concentration and our time to? So let's think, first of all, of the scale of the problem, right? We've got to think about this in a global sense, that this is a global process that's being driven by these massive systems of production and consumption and transport and energy. And clearly just us making our own individual choices is not going to be enough. And I think we, we kind of all know that in our, in our hearts, but we also know that we've got to make the systems change, right? Okay. We know in our hearts that just changing our consumer behaviour isn't going to be enough. 
Introducing systemic change. Well, so systemic change means that rather than a proportion of the population have just changed their consumption habits in the next 10 years, that Australia has shifted all of its electricity generation in the next 10 years to clean energy, something that multiple studies have now said that we can we can do relatively easily. Hey, Ash, you know your little bedtime story when you're talking about the Goldilocks zone? Yeah, dog. It's actually the baby bear zone. Goldilocks is the system. Huh? So Goldilocks is the fossil fuel era. Wait, so Goldilocks, so like little little golden ringlety Goldilocks is actually the fossil fuel era. Cool, got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yes, and this Goldilocks is lying in our just right bed and is so tied up in our political system, our media, our way of life that you and I are losing sleep over all these little individual things like how much we're driving or changing our light bulbs. It's just not going to make a dent. Mm. It's kind of like all the bears saying like, oh, well, I guess I could just sleep on the floor. Oh, yes. So what we're doing, what we're doing now is we're like following Goldilocks or like fossil, the fossil fuel era. We're following it around the house, cleaning up after its trail of destruction when maybe we need to get it to stop destroying everything. So park the individual thinking, the only way we're going to bring on systemic change is through collective action. Mama bear, papa bear, baby bear, all the little neighbor bears in town working together to boot Goldilocks out the window and start cleaning up the house. Okay, so I get it. Collective action is something that we need to do. We can't think of ourselves as just individuals. But then what is, what is maybe the, the, what is the enemy of collective action? Well, look, the... the- the enemy of collective action, first of all, I guess, is just nothing. It's just, oh, well, screw it. I'll just be, I'll just be endlessly ironic, or you know, I'll just, I'll retreat into um, escapism, or uh, I'll just consume stuff, um, and I'll try and consume a bit better. Like, you know, it's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't get us there. Um, uh, or it's, or it's to retreat into nihilism. Oh, it's all over. There's nothing we can do. Completely untrue. Um, so it's putting all of those kind of individualist behaviours to one side. So how do we feel big and how do we act as big as we possibly can? Let's map Jess and Ash. Are, are you ready to map yourself, Jess? Are you ready to power map yourself, Ash? I mean, my kids have a lot of pens and pencils. If, like, if that's what's holding you back, we can get the pens and pencils out. Ah, uh, <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh, is this is this Craftanoon? Crafting the future? Alrighty, Aphrodite. Um, I'm so ready for this. So a power map is a tool that organizations like Greenpeace use to map out relationships and networks of influence when they're planning social or environmental campaigns. And we're just gonna do one for normal people, like ourselves. Paper, check. Pesto on my paper, double check. It's on both sides. Um, Ash and I took David's power mapping instructions to a cafe and had one of the best little brekkie dates ever. We've got some fancy highlighters as well, just in case you need those. Yeah, and we're putting those instructions on the Heaps Better website. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, so the first thing we do is we do a what. What are the things that are my set of special powers? Clearly you know how to do podcasts, but everyone knows how to do different things. So... 
it's worthwhile making down a list of stuff you know how to do. What are we good at? What are we good at? What, what do, do we, we like at? doing so we know we're going to do more of it? So that's our what. Shall we take a minute and write our what's and then Yeah, discuss? I think so. Watch. So what are you it's really nice like to do this one with a buddy who can point out what you're good at. Liking. Yeah, like I used to work at a radio station with Ash and I know that she's really good at interviewing people. Dancing. You're super organised. You love Talking making people. things happen and getting stuff together. Oh, shucks. That sort of thing. <laughs> I like birds. I really like birds. Really? Oh, my God, you're a twitcher. And then we define the where. Read these out again? And if you think about the where, it's everything you're part of. What sports clubs have you ever been part of? What social clubs are you part of? What street do you live on? Do you think we need to have a really big relationship to these places that we're talking about? No, I think, if you, I think it's anywhere that you have a connection to. Um, I'm, in a, in, I'm in a group called Just Dance and we meet on Mondays and just dance. Seriously? Yeah. All of those what's all have carbon footprints and they have carbon footprints that are much bigger than any individual. Radio station. So I had things like my stint in politics and the local radio station where I met you, Jess. Yes, and we both know the team of podcasters at Audiocraft, who I work with. One of whom had a friend who worked at Greenpeace. And all these colleagues or neighbours or friends of friends, they're our circles of influence. This is actually an epic list when you start to, like go through all these totally connections. so now you're cooking right you've, you've defined what's your superpower and you've de- started to define the, the the areas of your influence now once you've got those things mapped out you've got the terrain in front of you and wow boy there are so many things that you can do like the fantastic regional hospital that said they weren't going to accept money from uh, sponsorship from coal mining companies. How inspirational was that? It always comes back to that exercise in mapping of where you are in the world, who you know, what you, how you can reach people and, and what you love doing. So beyond just Ash and I making that pinky promise to share information between us, we could tap into all these brilliant people that we kind of already knew. And then it turned into a podcast. So anyone in the world could learn along with us. And you're doing that for the why. Because the why is not about, oh, we've got to stop bad stuff. The why is because the world is beautiful and we want the world to become a more beautiful place in the future. I don't understand the why. Can you make the why make sense to me? Why is why are you doing this in the first place? Why am I trying to save the planet? Yeah. Why are you trying to save the planet? Why are you even sitting here putting the effort into doing a power map? Why are you giving a shit? Like, why did we go to David Ritter? Why did we even decide to start this podcast? And and it's because in David Ritter's words... We want an Earth capable of nurturing life in all of its magnificent diversity. So we, all of us, are doing this not because we want to make each other feel bad about da-da-da, but because the world is magnificent and we can increase the quantum of justice in that world. And so that is the why. I would like to come back to my why that is like it ties together my past and my future. And, and like connects with my heart and that is when I put my <laughs> like I'm literally going to cry when I put my head under the water at the Great Barrier Reef when I was a kid and it just it just blew my tiny mind you know it was just so magical and I felt connected to it all um, 
and I was able to 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 browse this like <laughs> life library and I don't want to turn up to the library one day and there's only one book to read you know um, and I want to be able to see children enjoying it the same way I did you know that's why for me and I just became a godmother twice well a hairy fairy guide mother is the term that I've been given one of them was born during lockdowns in Victoria and I'm in New South Wales so I haven't been able to meet her yet with the borders being closed but a big one of my whys is that like a lot of people my work all disappeared overnight during the first lockdowns and with all that time on my hands and being stuck in one place I started really noticing all the birds around me and trying to recognize them by their different songs it's like I aged 40 years overnight but I love it and I want my little guide babies to be able to hear this beautiful symphony of birdsong too. Jess, I have a present for you. Ash, is that a currawong? Yeah, I recorded it just in the park near my house. Oh. It's amazing what you can hear in the middle of the city when you actually listen. If you were thinking of that why rather than a... It starts to be a blessing, this work. It starts to be work that you are doing with joy. With joy. So are you saying that as the CEO of Greenpeace, you don't go into work every day thinking, let's make the bastards pay, we're going to get them, you know? <laughs> I, um, look, I've loved Greenpeace since I was a kid and, and no matter how hard the day is, I still feel like I'm a school kid sort of skipping to work. I don't quite get to do it when we're working from home. but. The, the, the ethos is is fundamentally one of love. It's love for the natural world and it is uh, a love for the miraculousness of, of people. You know, you, you, if you work within a movement and you give yourself over to that, you, you are all the time refreshed by the realisation that people working together can do just about anything. So we were talking about collective action wins with David and like the global boycotts that helped to end apartheid in South Africa was one example that came up. And then David mentioned one that happened in Australia, the fight for the bite. Jess, you were part of that. I also um, was living down the Great Ocean Road the last few years and my community was paddling out in, um, in paddle outs. <laughs> Down, you know, around Torquay and and fighting for the bite, you know. And, it felt and like... you're asking me what to do. Well, you... Can we tell this story? Okay, so why were you paddling out? All right, so we were paddling out in the water in protest against a Norwegian oil company called Equinor, and they had plans to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. And if there'd been an oil spill down there, the impacts would have been completely devastating. I don't know if you remember this and if you saw... Yeah, dude, I saw these maps that scientists had drawn up. They showed how the oil spills, just because of currents, would have happened in the bight under South Australia and then curved all the way around Victoria and all the way up the coast to northern New South Wales. Exactly. So it would have had devastating impacts for all these local communities, like their tourism, the fisheries, the local ecology. Wow. But not only that... Equinor's environmental plan had pretty much failed to consult with traditional owners along the South Australian coast. My name is Sue Hazeldine. I'm a First Nations Gugula woman from the far west coast of South Australia. My old people would spend the winter months out bush. 
Then during the summer months, they would come down to the ocean where there was so much food. This is Gugatha Elder, Auntie Sue Hasseldine, and she sent this spoken letter asking Equinor to reconsider their plans to drill for oil. We know you can't eat, breathe or drink money. Drilling for oil can only mean disaster. It would be a catastrophe if anything happened to our pristine waters and our way of life. No drilling in our great Australian bite. We don't want you here. We don't want your oil rigs. We don't want your oil spills. Don't ignore us because we're not going to go away. We are here. We have been here for thousands and thousands of years. And we will still be here when the oil age is over. Auntie Sue didn't get a response. More people around the coast start hearing about Equinor's plans and jump on board this fight for the bite. I had no idea and I was and it was like from the town I was from. So I was pretty shocked and I was like, right, we've got to do something about this. This is Grace. She's a high school student from Apollo Bay and she organised her whole town to take to the harbour in a flotilla in protest. And when we got down there, it was just awesome. People just started flooding in. There was just little kids all screaming, fight for the bite, and all the older people, and it was really, really good. And meanwhile, in the town where I was living, a couple of local surfers get together and have this big dream for a paddle out. Our local fight for the bite campaign started like all good stories uh, in the local pub close to midnight and only really a week or two before our first paddle out. This is Jara. The team grew and multiple friends pitched in their various skills, whether it was yeah, social media, organisation. Then the local Surfrider Foundation gets behind it and is like, we'll sort out all your council permits so you can make this an official event. Pro surfers started getting behind it. Journalists start covering it. All these people around Australia hear about it and want in too. And this little dream for a paddle out turns into a national day of action where there are something like 50 paddle outs happening all over Australia and even in Norway. We tapped into something that the local community cared about deeply and they came out in numbers to support it, from kids to grandparents to pets. People supported it in whatever way they could. And all these people are just normal people who'd never organised a protest before, high school students even. And it really just goes to show what, you know, collectively we can achieve. None of this would have been possible if any one of us had set out um, to coordinate these paddle outs. And then in February 2020, Equinor announced that they were pulling out. They were cancelling their plans to drill for oil in the bite. I was midway through a sack or a test at school and then um, I went to the bathroom and one of my friends who organised it with me, she like came with and she looked at her phone and we were in there and she's like, oh my God, I'm like, what? She just told me, she was like, oh my God, Equinor pulled out of the bite. I was like, what? Are you joking? That's awesome. And we just started like celebrating in the school bathroom. It's an amazing story. I mean, you were part of a globally significant defeat of a fossil fuel company. <laughs> like, how could you have been keeping this silent? Go and ask some bloke what he thinks when you actually know the answer. I mean... Uh, it was very exciting. But I, but I agree, it felt, it felt so exciting to be even just paddling out with that, with the hundred odd people at our little beach on those days that we did. Um, but I also know that we were, we were only one piece of the puzzle. Let's, let's think of it as a patchwork quilt of refusal to big oil that was put down from Albany to Botany Bay. 
Because that's what happened, right? We had First Nations people, the Murning mob, who said, uh, uh, you are not drilling for oil in the middle of our whale dreaming. We had surfers say, paddling out saying, these breaks, they're too important. We had scientists saying, this is madness. We had people inside the companies that were leaking the spill modelling. We had journalists who were saying, well, this is one of the most important stories around. We had local councillors saying, we are not going to have this here. We had the environmental organisations. I mean, Greenpeace was big in this, but let's do a shout-out to our mates and our colleagues at the Wilderness Society and at ACF and at AYCC and at SEED and everyone else who was involved. And this patchwork of communities and surfers and kids at schools in Apollo Bay and Kangaroo Island and elsewhere who just said, nah, not going to happen. And it hasn't, and it isn't, and it won't. We did it collectively. You ask what collective action is. That was collective action. We closed a frontier to big oil forever. Sorry, I'm going to stop you there, Jess. Is that a good news story in 2020? Yes. yes we needed it so bad i just love that that's not it's not only environmental activists it's everyone just saying nah okay let's get into action share this podcast with a mate then sit down and do a power map with them you just need one sweet hour of time a couple of pens and pencils It doesn't take that long and honestly, it feels really good. It'll show you how you can get into climate action from right where you already are. Our mates at Greenpeace have helped turn all this info into a simple step-by-step action plan. You can download it from the website greenpeace.org.au slash heapsbetter. There's a link in the show notes of this podcast too. We've got a plan, but there is still so much we need to know. Like, can we go from being a coal superpower to a renewable superpower? Spoiler alert, we can. But can we get there fast enough? And can people like you and I make it happen faster? Subscribe to Heaps Better on Spotify, Apple or wherever you listen. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review this podcast. It's a huge help. Heaps Better is a podcast made by us, Jess Hamilton and Ash Bertabez, with Greenpeace Australia Pacific and Audiocraft. The mixing engineer is Adam Connolly, EP is Kate Montague, and the creative lead at Greenpeace is Ella Colley. A huge thank you to the Greenpeace team for getting us out of the weeds and showing us the bigger picture, especially David Ritter and his awesome kids. <laughs> so what do you guys want to do when you get out of school? I mean, are you going to break into Parliament? <laughs> yes, yeah. Or if we get bored, just go on some interviews and kids about what to do. What does better mean? Thank you to Sarah Perkins Kirkpatrick and all the scientists out there working so hard for so long to tell us what we need to know. Thanks to Grace, Sue, Damo, Jara, and the entire Fight for the Bike community, whether you were using your voice to shout out loud or acting more quietly behind the scenes. And thank you for coming with us. We are heaps better together.
everyone and welcome to Climate Australia. I am your host, Lee Constable, and today we'll be talking to the hosts of a podcast you all need to listen to. We'll be talking to Jess and Ash from Heaps Better. I want to acknowledge where I am today. I am on the land of the Turrbal and Yugara people, so I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present and also pay my respects to Indigenous people who may be watching not just across the many First Nations that make up Australia or what we now call Australia, but across the world. Thank you so much for joining me. I just want to acknowledge that the Turrbal and Yugara people have an ongoing relationship with storytelling, with land, sea and sky, with the environment, with justice and sustainability and all of those things and definitely storytelling are going to be a part of what we're talking about today. I've got Jessica Hamilton joining me, Ash Davies. Thank you so much for joining me here today and uh, yes, let everyone know a little bit about who Jess and Asha? We're broadcasting from different places. Even though we worked on a podcast, a lot of it was done by distance. So um, I'm here on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, still unceded, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. And Jess is up in the Snowy Mountains. Yeah, I'm in New South Wales Snowy Mountains, so the land of the Narragoo people. And likewise, as you so beautifully put it, Lee and Ash, to pay my respects to any First Nations people listening across this many countries that we're all joining in today. Thank you very much for having us, Lee. It's such a mark of the times that we're talking about this remotely and that you produce this remotely. So we'll start at the start. How did you come to create a podcast together in the first place? And how did you come to choose this topic? Uh, it's, uh, it's like <laughs> interesting talking about it as, as this year because, um, yeah, 2020 was, this podcast came right at the start of 2020 as an idea for Ash and I when we were in Sydney together. It was just before one of what I think it was the biggest climate rally that Sydney had had and in the middle of the bushfire smoke and Ash and I met in a cafe um, just sort of in the middle of our crippling climate anxiety that a lot of us and our friends were all experiencing and, and our country at the time of those bushfires in January. And um, I had seen Ash, we've known each other for years. We worked together at FBI Radio years and years and years ago. And I noticed Ash post on her Facebook a, a bit of a yelling to the void. Into the void. <laughs> <laughs> like real panic posting stuff. Um, but also like the idea that we bonded over so quickly and like how that turned into a podcast was that I was like, okay, so you don't know what we're doing. Um you know, like the, the government's not doing enough, so we're going to have to do stuff. Therefore, we need to make a, a spreadsheet of everything that we can do for the, the climate. And then because everyone's got different, you know, capacities and abilities and different kinds of like amounts of time and money, we need to have everything in a column, right? So like, you know how long things take and you know how much they might cost you. And then you can kind of quant try to quantify the impact individually, but quantify the impact in terms of like when you get to a certain tipping point and then look at those things and be like, ooh, strategically, what should individuals be doing? Because we're all just kind of like panicking and giving all like money to like the same kind of like charity things that were going around at the time and just so desperate to do something. So yeah. we were like, okay, spreadsheet, maybe not the most compelling idea. And I meanwhile had had a, a really good friend of mine was pregnant in, during the bushfires down in Victoria and was in a really, really dark, space with her anxiety and so a couple of friends in Vic and I got together to be like all right well let's just do one practical thing each week like what week one can be finances week two can be our home power and we'll just kind of get through it together and um 
but it was a bit hard to, to do that in Victoria. So Ash wrote me into her spreadsheet and I wrote her into my weekly topic thing and, and that's where it sort of kind of turned into a podcast. That's so cool. I mean, I've been thinking about and talking about climate for a long time, but in some ways that works against me because sometimes I take for granted what people might think, what people might be into, what people might know, what people might already do and care about. So in that way, you kind of, you both have an advantage. Did you realise that at first when you went to make the podcast? Yeah, so the enthusiasm can be uh, maybe hard to, the, the newness factor, mm. the enthusiasm for ideas can probably be a bit harder to come by and like the, maybe the burnout's real. I don't know for you, Lee, but... Do you, do you kind of find that, that you kind of burn out on the the topic? And... I burn out and I fire up. <laughs> You've got to I fire up to burn out. You've just got to leave yeah, yourself yeah. on for too long. Yeah, I think, I think honestly it's seeing people like you make these podcasts and, you know, people come out of the woodwork in lots of different spaces and, and different sectors to, to kind of fill their own gaps in, in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So what was your background, um, Jess, we'll start with you, like what was your background that you brought to this? Because there's the, the things you don't know, but you knew a lot of stuff that you brought to this. Well, my background is sort of half in podcasting. I work with an agency called Audiocraft in Australia who do a lot of a lot of really interesting podcasting work. But I also have been working with an agency called Love Frankie for the last few years, which is an APAC-based social change agency that mostly works with um, counter-radicalisation and racism in online spaces. So they do a lot of, with them I've been able to, really lucky to work on a lot of really interesting communication-based events or campaigns or video sort of productions that has, I mean, so much of it kind of ties in with this when you're looking at these big systemic things and trying to engage everyday people and and in online spaces and 2020 was so online. Um, A lot of that work kind of ties in with, I suppose, with what we're facing with climate change when it is this multifaceted global systemic systemic problem and it is something that that every everyday person, no matter who you are, you can choose to tap out if it's overwhelming, but it, you ultimately it's, it's here for all of us and it's part of our normal lives. So going about addressing it or getting involved in it in what feels natural to our normal lives is um, was something. Yeah, and I suppose you both started to notice that the type of thing that you wanted to hear just wasn't there. Mm, totally. And so you were like, you know what? Why don't we create the content we want to listen to in the world? Basically, that was that was like almost exactly the pitch. It's like, okay, it's the podcast that we want, and what we wanted and we weren't hearing was something that was kind of it gave you enough of an understanding of what's happening, and not in a way that's like limited. Let's look. Let's talk about climate change exclusively. We kind of want to understand how systems work together and where where power might be sitting and like what you know the if we have a more rounded understanding of what's going on not only is it more interesting and you feel like you're more equipped to deal with things on top of actually kind of cultivating the understanding and having a good time and like maybe the difference with uh heaps better is that as much as we know some stuff we're also happy with being I guess helpful idiots as in we're happy with like not knowing everything and being the people who learn alongside you rather than teach at you mm-hmm. um or, you know, sort of like um, speak in, in really jargonistic terms. So it's like 
we weren't hearing that. And then the ultimate thing for both of us was that we were watching all of this um, media and absorbing all this news. And it was like, here's this really important thing. And then it gets to the end and it's like the end. And you're like, yeah, yeah. but what do I do about it? How do I, how do I, now that I'm informed, I would like to be able to do something. And that was just frequently not like, it was just not an option. And then yeah. you just go away feeling really helpless about it. And there's this whole like learned helplessness when it comes to climate change of like confronting it once, twice, three times. It's a source of stress. We're encountering it all the time. And so you actually learn how help, helpless you are if you don't get to do something about like changing the situation that is stressing you out. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like it's definitely something I thought about in, you know, starting Climate Australia and doing this, this live stream show was, yes, we're going to talk about problems, but we need to also talk about what does this mean that we need to do? What needs to happen? Whether it's me as an individual or something out of my control, I feel, think it's important to have that conversation. We've got uh, Mark Spencer on Simpatico TV chat saying, I am pumped. Just finished the last episode of the mini series, which is exciting. It is out. At- All right, so here's a little clip. We know in our hearts that just changing our consumer behaviour isn't going to be enough. Introducing systemic change. Well, so systemic change means that rather than a proportion of the population have just changed their consumption habits in the next 10 years, that Australia has shifted all of its electricity generation in the next 10 years to clean energy, something that multiple studies have now said that we can we can do relatively easily. That was a clip. Do you want to tell people about that conversation and how you first came across that perspective? Well, like, that was a real I, big moment in 2020 for us. Cheers, <laughs> really guys. Ash, when you were saying, like, and, and your question earlier, Lee, or your, your comment about us kind of not being not being on the inside of this industry as environmentalists or working within the environmental climate change sort of industry or spaces and coming to it from our own space, is that we were like, yeah, there's these big concepts, like Ash was saying before, that we wanted to explore and look at, like, collective action and systemic change, but it can risk being a bit jargon and, and, and like, alienating if you're not in it. Mm, So I think that's one of the funnest things was for Ash and I, we were like, like, we actually went to Greenpeace and like, okay, cool, we want to make this podcast, like, you know, we've got all these actions that we want to do and, and we'll do cycling to the shops one day and they were like, no. <laughs> oh, honey, so, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> legitimately along the way. And then we were like, all right, so we we actually learned so much along the way of making it, but then we're like sitting down with each episode being like, how can we tell this in a story that is fun and sticks for us that isn't like the kind of by the book language and, you know, like totally. turning systemic change into Goldilocks or Ash coming up with this like divestment story of divestment that's like cutting down the beanstalk of the giant and like this ridiculous group running around but it's like it sticks and it's obviously for some people going to be a bit bizarre but for people like us we're like all right this is how we can engage with these things that typically like things like finance and divestment you'd be like oh that's that's not for me that's for an expert to deal with totally and how can we make it um entertaining and engaging and and you know fast-paced enough while also actually adhering to some essential theory of change or, like, overall strategic plan. And, you know, a lot of what Jess and I were talking about early on is that, like, you know, I think a lot of our friends are really keen to take climate action, but then they get bombarded with all of these things that are more sustainable or better or whatever, but they just don't know what the best thing is to do. And I think the kind of overwhelm and the amount of decisions that you have to make 
in order to even get to the point where you do take action because you have to pick an action. Um, that can actually just, you know, you lose people along the way. Yeah. The, the, just the, the stress level goes up, the more decisions you have to make, and then people, um, myself included, um, are just <laughs> shut down. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that the podcast sort of followed a, a sensible kind of like line of thought and an actual strategy from one of the most strategic organizations in the world, Greenpeace. Um, and so, you know, what's the best thing for Australia to do? Where can we have the most impact? What does that look like at the individual level? And what will this look like when we all do it together? Because yeah. we're better together. Yep, yep, yep. Yes, it's better. The air horn. Actually, Mike on the Sympatico CV chat said, the air horn is my fave. Um, he also says, I'm joining from Ramatush Ohlone land, which is in the States. Welcome, Jess and Ash. Great to have you here, Mike. Give us a shout out, whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Sympatico TV. Let us know what you're up to, where you are. If you know the First Nations people, let us know whose land you're on. If you don't know, great opportunity to find out. Um, this is Ash and Jess, uh, who have just been talking us through Heaps Better, the podcast that is out right now that you can all listen to that is supported by Greenpeace Australia. Shout out to them because, as well, we're uh, streaming on their socials right now. Hi. <laughs> um, tell everyone where they can watch this. I mean, listen to this. Sorry. Audio. Everywhere. <laughs> so if there's a podcast app, we're on it now. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you just go to greenpeace.org.au slash heaps better, um, it's a great place to go because you can listen to all of the web, uh, all of the episodes there, but you can also uh, browse all of the guides for getting things done. So it's kind of like your one-stop shop. It's a really great website. It yeah. is. It's really pretty as well. We've actually <laughs> used some of the branding around here. Uh, the orange and the heaps better logo is there. I wore this shirt just to try and fit in with the branding a little bit because it's fun. Um, it's so good. It, it looks fun. So at the moment, I haven't made my way through the full series yet. Ooh, I will start listening <laughs> to it, knowing that I would have spoilers today. But even before, when, when someone first sent me this, and shout out to Mark, thank you for sending me this, I looked at the website and I was like, oh, my God, I'm already having fun here. Um, <laughs> you know, what sort of conversations were you both having because, um, you know, you had the spreadsheet and then you went to, like, do we do this? Do we do that? Hey, Greenpeace Australia, what about recycling? And they're like, honey, let's talk about <laughs> systemic change. <laughs> and, um, like, how did you kind of uh, – I mean, obviously you're both very charismatic people and it, it's, like, it's clear that you want to listen to you as soon as you start that first episode. But it's even clear before that, like, how did you come to talk about the tone and the vibe? Were you taking inspiration from somewhere else? Oh, that's such a good question. Jess, does anything pop into your mind there? Um, I think the biggest thing was just that we wanted we wanted to listen to something and couldn't find, around climate change, couldn't find what we wanted to listen to. It's like there's, there's so much out there, and particularly in January around the bushfires, there was just... Every, I think everyone was stuck in that 24-hour, you know, checking the bushfire mm. app and checking the news, and there was so much that was about, like, it was really, it was, there's a lot of heavy stuff. There was a lot of grief and a lot of anxiety, and we, we sort of made a decision, like, that was that for us felt a bit crippling and for the mm. friends that we wanted to be bringing along with us, and, like, my, my friend who I mentioned was pregnant and really unable to even kind of talk about any of it. Mm-hmm. 
um, it was sort of like the people who can't watch David Attenborough documentaries, which is me. Like, I, I struggled to watch David Attenborough's last documentary because I was like, I just know what it's going to do to my little old heart. So we, we were sort of straight up set about, like, you know, this, there's enough of that type of content out there. But for us, to, for Ash and I as people um, and friends and the way that we go about our daily lives, um, we needed to have a bit more, like, kind of action and laughs and do it totally. in our own. And things that were like deliberately kind of putting aside anything. It obviously was serious and something we wanted to take very seriously in that first episode with David Ritter, the CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific, when he he says this beautiful story about his parents going through war and saying like, you know, we, we need to balance grief and belief. But we ultimately wanted to be addressing that, but leaning heavily into belief and action, mm. open optimism. And, and there's plenty of other spaces Goodness. where the other side of things has been and is being explored. So that was quite a deliberate choice for us. Yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, the the whole thing, like the, the, the real driving thing is that we wanted action to actually happen. And I think that, like, the, the pathway to action, uh, you can put a lot of obstacles on it and, like, dealing, you know, dealing with difficult things or, like, not making it make sense or including jargon and all that stuff. We kind of, um, we had a list of things that we, that like heaps better is and heaps better isn't, you know, um, because I think what you aren't is important when it comes to talking about climate because I think it can't be that it's not all the same audience because it's the entire world who's going through this. So we have to figure out, you know, our audience and then what our audience needs um, and then what we can actually bring to the table. Um, so we weren't about to put on our, our suits and pretend that we were, like, the most serious people in the room. Um, <laughs> you know, so we knew that people wanted, like, solutions. They wanted a solutions-focused podcast rather than a, problem, a problems-focused podcast. And then, you know, it, they, we wanted it to be about collective action rather than about kind of conscious consumerism. And, you know, we wanted to really lean heavily on the positive vision for the future rather than the negative vision for the future that we must avoid. Because I think everyone's got that, but they don't actually know what a positive future might look like. And we have such a very clear, attainable, awesome, like, potential positive future for Australia. Um, even, you know, when we're talking about the podcast broadly, like, we're really looking at changing the, the energy system um, a lot. So, you know, the potential there is great. It's actually a happy story if we take it on and if enough people know about it and enough people know what to ask for. So being positive um, with this podcast was kind of it, – it was natural almost because as long as we keep that, like, vision front of mind, then, you know, people can look for more opportunities to get closer to that vision of the future. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the, the discussion around hope and positivity – um, is really interesting because I've seen different kinds of, of those things. I've seen some people um, that I've talked to about climate change just conversationally just be like, yeah, but, um, you know, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> and then I've, I've talked to other people where their positivity has really been like, no, the best thing is there's so much we can do and it's energising mm. and empowering for them. Um, and then I've seen negativity... Uh, and anger being used in really active and empowering ways. Like I know, um, we, you know, some of our biggest figures have said, you know, I'm sick of pretending everything's fine. It's not, and that's been energising. And then other people have been so negative. They're like, oh, we've already ruined it, and so never mind. Um, how mm. do you kind of walk that line? 
Well, first well, of all, don't record a podcast when you're in a terrible mood. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I think, I think the anger thing's interesting in this fourth episode, which is about how we can, like, you know, there's so many Australians say that we want to do something about climate change, but our last election rolled around and the voting numbers didn't really say that, you know, show that we wanted climate action. And um, a, a lot of people, I think, sit back. Us, us included at times and we'll go, I don't quite know how to get in, got engaged in that political conversation or I don't know if, it's any, if there's any point writing to yeah. a politician like that. So the, the fourth episode is about trying to figure out if if we can get, if and how we can get out of that like stage fright and um, talking to the people with, with power. And we had two conversations, one with Rebecca Huntley where she was like, anger is really important, um, but use it like chili, like use it like a kick and don't kind of <laughs> laugh with this, like, like her words were, dear Mr. Bartlett and Pitt, and, like, send an angry email because it just won't get read, but to keep that anger and use it as a kick. And then Annie Leonard, who was so amazing, the oh. director of Miss USA, and she um, at one moment was, was like, you know, which I don't think made it into the podcast in the end, but she was like, we've just made a mistake where we've been too polite. And mm. so it was like, not, the, not to be aggressive but to channel to channel anger and not to just sit back and be expecting things to happen and that actually yeah. like the cool thing was to just sit back and let let things unfold as they as business as usual um yeah. which was being like oh well if, if we give them like this documentary or like more kind of uh bits of gra- like graphs and and research then like it's it's totally mm-hmm. clear that people will act when they get this information because we know what this information means and it's just yeah. actually digesting information and understanding it and acting on it is not the business of politicians, unfortunately. <laughs> or everyday like, humans. Or everyday um, humans, no. We're much more driven by emotion and immediate... It's the most mix. frustrating thing, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Because when I, did, when I did my... um, I did my Masters in Science Communication, like, after figuring out that I wasn't going to be an environmental scientist like I originally thought I was because that wasn't where the solutions were or the problem necessarily. And one of the most difficult facts for me to grapple was ironically the fact that people don't listen to facts to change their minds. Yeah, totally. It's it's a vicious cycle, I tell you. But it is important to recognise, and if anyone's watching and you're a climate communicator, whether you do it in the media, um, like the three of us here, whether that's traditional media or, or other types of media on social media, or whether you do it climate communication at a barbecue or with chatting to your friends, it is an important thing to think about, um, using those emotions that we feel in ways mm. that are constructive and not destructive and thinking about what does and doesn't change people's minds um, mm. and whether even you're spending too much energy trying to change minds. Um, I have... I've had a few people ask me about this channel uh, and who the audience are, and I think climate-concerned, climate-curious people as well as climate professionals themselves are the audience. Who are your audience? Are they? Are you thinking that some people might be deniers and listen, or are you just like, you know what, if so, great, but they're not our major audience? Mm, I think that deniers are overwhelmingly, um, like people who d- deny factual information that's, um, you know, it's agreed upon by 99-plus percent of uh, scientists. Um, I don't think that they're in our target audience, and I don't think they've listened to people like us, partly because we're young women. 
um, but also because I think that they might be a little bit hard to reach just in general with information, um, and they might not actually be listening to podcasts. That might be the kind of level of um, information diet they're on. They might be listening to, like, maybe radio instead. Um, so podcasts. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I don't think we're looking um, to communicate with deniers. It was ex- almost exclusively people who, and this is like the majority of Australians until you start getting into the more specific demographics like age and stuff like that, but mm. people who are like, you know, live in Australia and they think that climate change is a massive issue that we should be doing something about. And that's like um, based on there was this um, ethics report um, not so long ago, and it was like 90% of Australians think that climate change is happening, that we should do something about it, and they think so much so that the federal government should be mobilising funds in, a, in like a really meaningful way. Like they don't care if we, as a country, lose money if it takes a, if the budget takes a hit because we're doing things about climate change. You know, um, so that's 90%, yeah. which is like that. That's there's a pretty good numbers. Yeah. Um, so and we're talking to those people, but then also younger people. Um, yeah. I, and I think also like where it's it's not new stuff for a lot of people too. So there was a sort of this secondary thing of like it, it's in part people who who care and are engaged, but are maybe overwhelmed, confused of what to do, and like want, wanting to do something, but there's just so much info out there. If you try googling it, itself, it's overwhelming. So partly that, and also their friends who maybe are like slightly less engaged to give them talking talking points when you're at yeah. that barbecue or at the schoolyard or whatever, and and like Ash and I, are, we, we're those people too, and we're learning. Like through this podcast, we were learning so much of it, and so there's still so much that we have to learn. Um, we sound like idiots sometimes, you know, and we're happy to. And and we we genuinely did learn so much through it, and I think um, and still have so much to learn. So that was another really important thing was that we're not like talk, talking down to people and telling you what to do. We're sort of like, well, we've got to walk the talk and actually do this stuff and figure it out and like figure out how, how you can go about doing it, not sort of be like, yeah, you should, you should totally like it's, you know? it's horizontal. Like, you know, you're, when you listen to the podcast, you're not just a listener or an audience member, you're a heaps better friend forever because like, you know, I think, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be a good person, just taking care of the planet is like a really great place to start to be like a good mate with people. And I think that like, ultimately I think that while climate change is going to wreak a lot, a lot of havoc. I think that socially, if we can get this right and if we can ally ourselves with people who want to make worlds, make make small worlds or the big world um, a better place, then we're going to um, have, I guess, I mean, it's going to be, I don't know, I feel like a bit of a bit of a renaissance of kind of like community mm-hmm. because we are going to have to deal with this as a community. And so I, I don't think that we should just be kind of talking down to people and like sending out official broadcasts about climate. Like we, we need that groundswell and that um, kind of like lots of those communities and a lot of them already exist, but um, a podcast is one of the easiest ones to sort of like feel like you're tapping into because it's just, I know that when I listen to a podcast, I'm just like, Oh, so these are my friends. Like my brain doesn't know that they don't know about me. (laughs) Super great to be best friends with all these famous people. How wonderful. Totally. It's great. Like, all of my friends are, like, intellectuals. It's incredible. So creative. (laughs) It's like, um, they're all in podcasts.
And that's really what the Climactic Collective is. It's a big group of friends who get together over podcasts to talk about how we can stay engaged with the climate crisis, become more effective, but also to get through the hard times together. There's a lot more great stuff to that chat between Ash and Jess and Lee, and you can find it all in the full-length episode on the Climate Australia feed. Just go to climactic.fm and look for Climate Australia. I'm so excited to have Lee join the Climactic family, and I'd love for you all to help me make her feel welcome. If you can leave her show a rating and review, I know she'd greatly appreciate it. And now you can leave ratings right on climactic.fm, and also send us voicemail. Hit the microphone in the bottom right of the screen and send us a message about this episode. I'd love to play your responses on the feed. And I've got this question for you. If you could have anybody listen to that episode one of Heaps Better, who would it be? A friend, a family member, an elected official, a public figure? I'd love to know. Because I'd love to put this on on a road trip sometime. And I'm sharing the car with someone who I'm not quite sure how to talk to about climate change. And let Jess and Ash do the hard work for me. Thanks again to both of them. Ella Colley from Greenpeace, Kate Montague from Audiocraft, David Ritter, CEO of Greenpeace, and the team at Simpatico for helping me make this episode a reality. If you liked it, I'd love to hear it, and if you have any thoughts or critique, I'd love to hear those too. Just drop me an email at hello at climactic.fm. So I hope you're fired up after this episode, and get along to heapsbetter.com.au to find out if there's any simple things you can do to engage in the climate crisis that you aren't already doing. And let's get to systemic change. Thanks for listening, take care of each other, and stay safe in these climactic times. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people of the Climactic Collective and all the shows on the network at climactic.com.au. Thank you for listening. And until next time, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.